our goal in this particular season is to help everybody see uh, each book of the Bible in a way that you'll never look at it the same again. And we're just going through every book. Where is Jesus in Genesis? Where is Jesus in Exodus? And we're all the way through now to First Chronicles. And a really interesting pursuit to find Jesus in Scripture. And he himself said that he is in every book of the Bible. John 5, 39 is the, the key phrase we keep coming back to. It's where Jesus is speaking to all these religious Pharisees, explaining, you know, the things you're pursuing in, the, in your knowledge of Scripture aren't necessarily the things you should be pursuing because he said very specifically, the Scriptures point to me. Jesus said the Scriptures point to him. New Testament hadn't been written yet, so he was talking about the Old Testament. And when we look through every book of the Old Testament, we start to see where Jesus is in amazing ways. So, Father, give us wisdom to discover the revelation of Christ today more readily. Amen. And we just receive that together and say, Amen. Amen. We just accept the promises of God are assigned to our lives, and we need to explore them as if it were a, a will and testament that's assigned to our lives. That's exactly what has happened. Jesus died, and he left us. Aren't you glad you're in the will? You're in God's will. <laughs> and so, uh, praise God, when we read Scripture, we discover more about what he left in his last will and testament for us to embrace. And my goodness, that is what this particular book of the Bible is so all about. I'll just tell you right now, First Chronicles specifically, both first and second, but First Chronicles is absolutely a book of legacy. Everybody say that word with me. Say legacy. Legacy, such an important word for us to understand as believers, and um, phenomenal when we start to see how Jesus is revealed and the legacy of Christ is revealed in this. So the first thing you'll notice if you start reading First Chronicles is there's this very meticulous layout of all this genealogy and all these names, and it seems to like go on forever. Verse after verse after verse after verse, all the genealogies and the beginnings of the book are laid out there, and Jesus is revealed in the genealogies. Now, as Christians, uh, there are many times, and, and by the way, I'm going to mention uh, uh, one of the groups out here, but I want to say thank you to all of our community group leaders who came, set up tables. Our goal is to help you not just gather as a church shoulder to shoulder, uh, which is an important component for sake not the assembly. We worship together. We, we, be, we be trained and equipped and empowered to be who God's called us to be. All that is a, a, a one step in what God's called us to, but there's another element we see in Scripture, and they didn't just meet and gather in the temple. They met house to house. They met in smaller groups, not just shoulder to shoulder, but nose to nose, heart to heart, eye to eye, in personal exchange conversation. And so that's what our community groups are all about. So help me and say thank you to all of our leaders who work so hard at leading. Appreciate all of our group leaders so much. And don't just blaze out today as you, as you walk through the lobby. Take some time and look at the tables and eat the cookies and the donuts and evaluate the, uh, the stuff that are, uh, all the things that they've worked so hard and decor and all of that, just to voice our appreciation. And if you're not connected, get connected. The, one, uh, the point I'm driving at, what made me think of that is, I know uh, Lee Cody is setting up uh, out there about the uh, Hebrew honey and focusing more on the study of what uh, Old Testament riches are. It's just so amazing to take a look at that and begin to evaluate and see so much that God wants to draw out. And as Christians, how many of you would admit we as Christians tend to neglect those treasures, right? 
I heard one uh, theologian say, the Old Testament is richly furnished and dimly lit. And we kind of have to work to discover what God's revealed in there. And as, you know, I remember when I first became a Christian, I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll read the Bible, but I'm a New Testament kind of guy because the Old Testament was then and this is like, you know, now. And the reality is you can't understand the New Testament if you don't embrace the foundation upon which the New Testament is built. And the foundation is vitally important to any structure that God is going to build in our lives. So going back to that and recognizing that, and as Christians, what happens, we read these types of portions of Scripture, genealogies. Let me just ask this question. How many of you are guilty when you read the genealogies, you just kind of blah, 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 blah. You don't really read all that. Can I just see? Hold your hand up there. Genealogy skippers. Okay, that's what we are. And typically, uh, what we need to understand as Christians, that's pretty common for us. But as Jews, Jewish readers to Scripture never do that. And the reason is because the genealogies express the meticulous nature of God to provide an avenue through which the Messiah would come. That is so vitally important. And all the names and all the families that were, you know, came from the tribes and all of this is from Abraham. We're all sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of Abraham. When we look at being you know, drawn into the family. And, and those names are such an important component that expresses God preserved the priesthood, God preserved the people, mainly God preserved the bloodline. You need to understand this, guys. We need to understand this as Christians. God preserved the bloodline. Anybody bothered by all the killing that goes on in the Old Testament? Anybody bothered by that? I mean, you read that, it's like, are you kidding? Wipe out the whole group. You know, you go in, you fight for the land, and you just kill everybody? Listen, God wasn't trying to kill people. God was trying to rescue people. And he had to protect the bloodline because if the bloodline had been contaminated, then all of us would have been lost. There was a Messiah that had to come through the bloodline. So these genealogies, they're vitally important. They're crucially important to show us and to affirm us that God protected and preserved this bloodline so that through the lineage of the promise of Abraham, there would be a virgin who would give birth to a child. His name is Jesus. He is alive. He is who God says he is. And today, we're all rescued as a result of this King of kings and this Lord of lords who came. He lived. He died. And he is alive. He's risen from the grave. That's the declaration of these genealogies. So Jesus is revealed in the genealogies. The Old Testament scripture speaks of him. And then Jesus is also revealed uh, in David, King David, in an amazing way, in, in, in many amazing ways. But it's interesting, uh, Chronicles, what you'll find, and, and I thought this was kind of interesting, but Chronicles is very gracious to neglect many of the mistakes that we read about in Samuel and Kings. And you won't find the sin of David and Bathsheba in the account of David in Chronicles. It's graciously neglected. And again, the idea of Chronicles is to show us the preserved priesthood and the preserved lineage. And so God restored and redeemed David, and we talked about that. So uh, the assumption is that the author of Chronicles thought, why mention it? Uh, God redeemed it, God restored it, and, and in the process of all of that, he was, uh, you know, God continue to use King David. Aren't you glad God uses us beyond our mistakes? And so that tends to be the expression we read, and you'll find that there are many mistakes that are seemingly purposefully, graciously neglected in the book of Chronicles. Aren't you glad there are many mistakes that are seemingly purposefully, graciously neglected about your life and about my life because of God's wonderful love? I'm so glad that uh, he didn't kill me when I deserved to be killed because the wages of sin is death, and oh boy, yeah. Over and over and over. 
So God, give us grace that we might learn from our mistakes and grow and be strengthened in him. So we see this, Jesus revealed in David. We see it revealed in an amazing, and this is what I really want us to focus on looking at legacy today, in an amazing revelation of David coming to the end of his life and just as Jesus came to the end of his life and empowered the next generation church, so David came to the conclusion of his life and he empowered his son Solomon to build the kingdom or to build the temple, to establish the kingdom in the earth. That's what Jesus did for us. So David's prayer in 1 Chronicles 29 is, uh, is what I want to bring an emphasis to that we might understand. The first thing David does in his prayer in 1 Chronicles 29 is he gives glory to God. And so we want to give glory to God. Our singing is not about whether we feel like singing or not. Our singing is about glorifying God, that we might glorify Him. Some people are more expressive than others. I tend to be a live wire. Not everybody tends to be a live wire. Understand, but express your worship sincerely and authentically out of your heart before the Lord your God. As David was declaring, give glory to God. And then in this prayer, he went on and he gave gratitude for the blessing of, of leadership that was upon his life, that his family was called by God to lead this nation. And then ultimately, and I want you to understand this, his prayer in First Chronicles 29, you can read this and study this out. I'm not giving you verses right now on this. People are kind of looking for it. But his prayer was that his descendants would continue to devote themselves to God. David's prayer was that David's descendants would continue to devote themselves to God. Who are David's descendants? Here's the radical thing, and you might not have thought of this before, but because of Christ and because we've been drawn in, we are David's descendants. And will you just join me? And let's fulfill what David prayed about us because when he was talking about his descendants, he wasn't just talking about his own bloodline, but he was talking about the bloodline of the Messiah that the Bible says was going to come through King David. And when you, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you embraced who he is? Because once you do that, you become a son and a daughter of God, according to Galatians 3, and you become a part of the lineage of Father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down, Jesse, David, Solomon, all the way down, and we are part of that lineage. And so David's prayer that my descendants would continue to devote themselves to God. So come on, just do that. Open your heart. Why don't you just posture your hands in this surrender position that we were singing about just moments ago. And Lord, we do surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we answer what has been prayed generations prior to our existence, that we as the descendants of Abraham now grafted in, dra drawn in and adopted into the family of God, we as those descendants, the expression of your kingdom in the earth, we would be devoted wholeheartedly, everything that we are. Help us to understand that more clearly today. Help us, Lord, to take at least one step forward in that today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. May we possess a sacrificial pursuit of Christ so that future generations can be blessed. David's prayer was that my descendants, my influence, will impact the next generation and generations after that. And I want to just say this is an important statement for you to ponder for every one of us individually, for all of us together. But the decisions that you make and the decisions that you don't make. How many of you have made bad decisions before? Can I just see you made mad, bad decisions? And thank God for his grace. He rescues us out of that. He redeems. He restores all those things. 
but let's try to lessen our bad decisions. Here's the thing about Ishmael. He spends the rest of his life, the rest of your life, eating at the table. Let me give you a little bit of advice. Let's all make as few Ishmaels as we possibly can. And so looking at this and seeing the whole aspect of decisions we make and decisions we don't make, it echoes in the halls of eternity. Generations are affected. You and I are affected by decisions that have been made before us, and generations after us will be affected by the decisions that we make and the decisions we don't make. And every day, you and I are faced with two, dis- two, two kinds of pain. You either face the pain of discipline, or you will suffer the pain of regret. And may we discipline ourselves so that we don't have to suffer the pain of regret. And we might actually be a part of cultivating a legacy in the earth. And I... This is such an incredible illustration of legacy. I felt like I just needed to lay a lot of groundwork with this to get everybody on board and understanding. Very key. Your decisions make a difference, okay? The decisions you don't make that you should have made makes a difference. It leaves a ripple in eternity. The decisions we do make that God wants us to, it makes a difference. And I want you to see this breakdown. This is outrageous. A guy named Jonathan Edwards. Some of you have heard of Jonathan Edwards because he's known now as a famous preacher. But uh, he wasn't born a preacher. He was born, he entered in, there's this age, we don't really know how old, but, but the Bible references in the book of Romans, when sin sprang to life, I died, Paul says, so we know there's some age of accountability structure. It's not a magical number, but there's your uh, reference for it in Scripture. And, and so somewhere along the way, Jonathan Edwards, he came to an age of accountability and, and entered into a sinful lifestyle to a certain degree for a little season of his life, and then he gave his life to Christ and then he answered the call of God, and then he devoted his entire rest of his life to serving Jesus, just like you and I need to. How many of you believe Jonathan Edward had an impact on his world, on his generation, and on generations to come, right? We can see that by seeing his ministry, but I want you to see this by seeing his legacy, his family legacy. Because Jonathan Edwards, in the 1700s, we know of 1,394 descendants So a few hundred years later, how many descendants are going to reference back to you as a point of the lineage that God's establishing in the earth? Jonathan Edwards, we know 1,394 descendants. This is what we know about those 1,394 descendants. 13 of them became college professors. I'm sorry, 13 of them became college presidents. 65 of them became college professors. 30 of them became judges, 100 of them became lawyers, 60 were physicians, 100 pastors in his lineage, 75 army and navy officers, 60 prominent authors, uh, 3 United States senators, 80 public servants in various offices, and in Jonathan Edwards' legacy and lineage, there was a vice president of the United States of America. How many of you think Jonathan Edwards had, had quite the legacy? How many of you want a legacy in your life, right? We want to, I mean, imagine what your, your children and your children's children and your children's children's children are going to be like. And the decisions we're making now literally are carving out modes and, and places that it's going to, I mean, it, it has an effect. It has an effect. It matters. It makes a difference. Your kids are affected by the atmosphere of your life. And if you rise up as men and women of God and you impact that, there's something that you're giving to generations of children that you've never even met, natural and spiritual. We receive that today, wisdom to impact generations to come. 
Because this is so bizarre, but we look at Jonathan Edwards and what a wonderful legacy he left. And may, may our names find their way into conversations that resemble this incredible legacy one day. And may our names never be resembled to another guy that was born in that particular era of time by the name of Max Jukes. And Pastor Nathan was gracious enough to put together this graphic, and it's a layout and comparison of these two uh, uh, legacy. And let me just read to you Max Jutes' legacy, because of, of the 1,000-plus, uh, 1,020 known descendants, he had 310 of his children, children's children, great-grandchildren, die as beggars. 150 of them were criminals, seven who were murderers. 190 of his descendants were prostitutes. He had 100 alcoholics that we know of. How many of you know Max Jukes, uh, his whole legacy was very starkly contrasted to Jonathan Edwards' legacy? What's your legacy? What? will your legacy be? Here's the thing about Jonathan Edwards. What we know about his life is he loved Jesus with all of his heart. He loved his family. He was a very strong family man. He loved his wife. He loved his children. He was there. He was engaged. He was involved. He lived a sacrificial life on behalf of God's agenda in the lives of others. I want to say that again. He lived, we know this of Jonathan Edwards. He lived a sacrificial life on behalf of God's agenda in the lives of other people. Do you live a sacrificial life? Not are you building a great life for yourself. Not are you having a blast while you're walking through whatever years you have a lot of. Do you live a sacrificial life on behalf of God's agenda in the lives of others? Because Jonathan Edwards did, and he gave that as a treasure to the legacy after him. Max Jukes, no, that wasn't the case. In fact, he was so self-absorbed that he was most of the time drunk and most of the time neglecting his wife, not involved, sometimes would disappear for weeks at a time and then show up again, never involved with his kids. I mean, do you see the difference that this, this, your decisions matter? What you're doing today matters. Don't just get self-absorbed in your video game lifestyle or whatever it is, your workaholic lifestyle, your porn addiction lifestyle. God help us all to learn to live sacrificial lives that honor the Lord Jesus Christ. That the legacy of our lives, not just our children, our children's children, but the atmosphere of the next generation will be impacted by my praise, will be impacted by my worship, will be impacted by my love, by my serve, and by my give. Come on, let's just give Jesus praise today. Every single one of us. He set the ultimate example of the ultimate legacy. First Chronicles 29, 1-3, then King David turned to the entire assembly and he said, my son Solomon, he's still young, he's inexperienced, and the work of him, ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, it's for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. David prepared for Solomon to carry on what was in David's heart. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures to, of gold and silver to help in the construction. This in addition to the building materials I've already collected for this holy temple. 
You get it? You see what's going on? David wanted to build the temple. When you study this out, you'll find out he actually wanted to do it himself. But God revealed that it was God's plan for David to prepare for the temple to be built, but it would be someone else's responsibility to build the temple. And Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. And the typification of Christ Jesus revealed in this incredible story is that Jesus provided all of the resources you and I need to build the temple, ministerially speaking, to expand the kingdom and declare the church today will be the church it's called to be. We have all the resources we need to do that. We just have to devote ourselves to it. And it costs something to create a legacy. It costs something to create a legacy. I'm driving toward your sacrificial lifestyle. The time and the money of your life needs to belong to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say in his word, I came that you might have and enjoy vacation. He said, I came that you might have and enjoy life. And it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we live in such a self-absorbed nation that we're all about receiving, we're all about saving, we're all about preparing, we're all about retirement, and we're all about a nest egg, and we're all about safety for our future. And we need to learn to be about sacrifice on behalf of the lives of others. When was the last time you risked something big because you cared about somebody else? It costs something to create a legacy. This goes on, by the way, you know, David like prepared all this stuff and then he gave himself personally beyond what he gathered as king, then personally gave out of his own treasure. And, and it says in verse 6 of 1 Chronicles 29, then the family leaders and the leaders of the tribes of Israel, generals and captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. I love this. They all gave willingly. Do you know that generosity produces generosity? Generosity breeds generosity. Generosity releases generosity. And the more generous we are, the more generous the people are around us. Do you know anybody that's really generous? I mean, when you just stop and think about a family that you know, and they're like really, they're always blessing and giving and, gen I mean, they're working, whatever they have, doesn't have to be much. This is where we miss it. We think, if I have a lot, then I can be generous. Wrong. Generosity has nothing to do with having a lot or having a little. Generosity is an attitude that considers other people. And every one of us can do that no matter how rich or broke we may be at any given moment in time. You think of somebody you know that's generous, and you think of somebody now that you know that's not. And I want you to think of their two lives. And in comparison, those are two totally different lives. Absolutely different lives. One is filled with joy and peace, one is filled with pressure and stress. I mean, it's just something about participating in the generous nature of God that really releases. And, and how many of you are selfish? Can I just see? Raise your hand if you're selfish. Just go ahead. I'm raising both mine, okay? Um, selfish is easy, isn't it? I mean, it's like easy. I wish selfishness were a fruit of the Spirit. I'd be great. <laughs> like, I went to McDonald's, and uh, the, the two lanes... You know, you can go with this one or that one. How many of you look to see which one's going to go faster? And, and so, like, you know, I want me to get through faster. I want to get ahead of these people, just like Jesus would. And so here I go, pulling in there. And so I'm looking, and, and it looks like, okay, yeah, this one's going to be a little faster. So I zip up there, and I say real fast, I'd like two breaks of burritos and a cup of coffee, just black, please, no sugar or cream, because I know what they're going to ask. And I'm trying to beat the car on that side, and, the, and I said it too fast, and the lady goes, excuse me, I'm sorry I didn't catch that. 
I want two breakfast burritos, black coffee. That's all. I'm, 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 I am specifically, I'm not even in a rush. I'm just hurrying because I want to beat somebody, just like Jesus would have me beat somebody. And so I ordered this, and, and the lady then comes back. She goes, did you want to number whatever it is, you know, with the hash brown? I'm thinking, good God, you're not helping me beat this person. No, that's all I want. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit just bounding everywhere. It was amazing. And, and, then, and then you're never going to guess the car pulls up. And you, have you done it before? It's like they pull up and, you, and you, you know, they got just enough ahead of me. I had to let them go. I was ticked off. I thought this McWorker has made me McMad. <laughs> so here they are, and I've got this attitude. And about the time I see them you know, about to leave the window, I notice a little hand in the back seat, peer, little face peers and a little hand waves like that. So I wave and I pull up and they say, that lady apparently attends your church and she just bought your breakfast. <laughs> Deborah Sewell, single mom, and I'm trying, I mean, do you understand? Man, I'm such an awesome Christian. <laughs> you know why I deserve to be standing here talking to you about the gospel today? Because Jesus is awesome, and I don't have to be so awesome, but I just look to him, and every one of us can do the same, and he wants to deliver us from our selfishness. And in that moment, when somebody blessed me, I thought, you know what? I said, let me just get the person behind me. They had a truckload order, by the way. I mean, I, the Lord was teaching me a lesson in a couple of ways. But I said, let me get them, and, and I paid for them and just kept it going. You know, you, I mean, generosity just begets generosity. We all need to learn to be more generous. We make the world a better place. It's just an attitude. It's a God-like attitude. For God so loved, next blank, that he gave me. Hmm. To be loving is to be giving, and to be giving is to be loving. And when we do not give... We do not love. For God so loved that he gave. We're created in his image. And I love this. This is kind of bizarre. But the scripture says, um, love others how? You're to love others as you love yourself. Mm, how many of you love yourself? Now, if I would have asked you this before, you'd have been like, mm-mm. You know, you don't want to admit that, right? But you love yourself. And the Bible actually doesn't say it's wrong. In fact, some of us need to give ourselves a break because we, like, hate ourselves. And you probably need to hear me say today, don't do that. <laughs> love yourself. It's okay to love yourself. But what Jesus says is put this in a framework so that you can understand your love for others should be like your love for yourself. You have no problem feeding yourself. You have no problem clothing yourself. You have no problem caring for yourself. You have no problem feeling bad for yourself. You have no problem with all that. Now do that for other people. It's very natural in our fallen world to do all that stuff for me, but do that for someone else. Love others the way you love yourself. Everybody in this room... <laughs> We wholeheartedly learned at a very young age, mine, wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, mine, that's mine, give me that back. At a young age, we learn that. And it's only when we mature that we start to learn to use the word share. And we use the word share not even half-heartedly when we first start using the word share, do we? Like my kids, mine, uh, 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 what do we do? 
we share. Praise God, you got it right. In action. I mean, like sliver-heartedly, and then we grow and mature half-heartedly. How many of you know God's plan is that we wholeheartedly learn to share like God loves, God gives, we love, we give. The world will change. Giving beyond myself, next two blanks, giving beyond myself creates expressions of effective ministry. Money is ministry. I, I know we don't see it that way, but I guarantee you money is ministry. Loving yourself and loving others, it's a ministry of the resource of your life. Money is ministry. Giving beyond myself creates expressions of effective ministry. Giving beyond my life creates effective expressions of legacy. And we need to learn to live a legacy. You cannot leave a legacy until you first live a legacy. And a lot of people are not living a legacy, so few people are truly leaving a legacy. But I just want everybody under the sound of my voice today to hear God's plan is that we live and leave a legacy that will impact generations to come. That is His plan. So Jesus positioned us to be able to build the temple. Jesus positioned us to be able to expand the kingdom. I know you don't believe it. I know it's hard to believe. I don't believe it. We have everything we need to do everything God's asked us to do. I mean, it's just amazing. We've got it. We just have to see it correctly. And our materialistic society and our materialistic culture has duped us into believing all kinds of nonsense. And the way of thinking about our resources of our lives is wrong. Our society is so materialistic that we watch programs about storage sheds. How many of you have seen them? Raise your hand. Storage shed. Look at these storage shed watchers. I mean, we are so materialistic that that like is entertaining. Because we want to see somebody's junk, and we want to see somebody else get somebody else's junk. And what's in the storage shed? Auction hunters. Auction hunters. Just finished its fifth wildly successful season about discovering people's junk hidden in storage sheds. 26 episodes each of the five seasons, 130 wonderfully viewing hours for all consumers to see. Can you imagine how many thousands of hours, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars went into preparing these series to entertain us? The Bible says, I will bless you so you can fill your life with so much junk that you need to find storage sheds to put it all in. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, it's crazy. But it's normal, right? Sometimes we just need to buck what's normal. Sometimes we need to decide what's normal is not for me. That's not for me. I don't want storage sheds full of junk. I want people whose lives have been transformed because of the glory of God. Praise God. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Luke 16, 11 says, If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth. What is worldly wealth? It's worldly wealth, okay? We all know. It's green. It's credit cards. It's checkbooks. It's money. It's the money that we get. If you have not been 
trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Isn't that an interesting verse? So like true riches in your life are contingent upon the way you manage your worldly wealth. And when we handle the temporal stuff well, the parts of life that have eternal value can start to be entrusted to our care. Let me say again, when we handle the temporal stuff well, the parts of life that have eternal value can begin to be entrusted to our care. This is world-changing, history-altering influence. And world-changing, history-altering influence awaits those who get it right in the temporal things. It's on, it, this is, you like, write this in the blank because this is like kingpin statement. And I say it again, world-changing, history-altering influence is God's plan for your life, and it awaits every person who gets it right in the temporal things. Giving never diminishes your life. Giving never diminishes your life. Giving always enriches your life. Like a saturated sponge, particularly in our society, we have to be wrung out before we can take in more. God's waiting for us to give what he's placed in our lives so that then we have a capacity to receive more of what he has in store and be enlarged to the next level of transferring the wealth of the kingdom of God to transform our world. True poverty is the inability to give. True poverty. I don't care how rich or how poor you are, you're impoverished if you are stuck and absorbed on yourself. If you can get past you, then you break a spirit of poverty. If I can get past me, then I break a spirit of poverty. Here, here's, here we go. I'm going to say it. God's plan... How many of you believe what I'm saying is just like right on point? Can I just get a witness today? All right. Right on point where we're going here. God wants us to get this. And, and all of us need to understand this. God has always, just as he's always made worship, music a part of worship and singing, he's always made singing a part of worship, he's always made giving a part of worship. David makes this incredible statement. I will never give an offering to the Lord my God that doesn't cost me something. And yet we're so casual about our offering to the Lord. And God has entrusted to our care the responsibility to build the kingdom, to expand the church. I didn't pick the church. Jesus picked the church. I'm just telling you the honest truth, and many of you probably feel the same way. If Jesus hadn't chosen the church, I'd have been out of here a long time ago. I would have found some other way to make a meaningful difference in the world. Because I'm going to say church is a lot of work. I mean, I'm not talking about pastoring a church. I'm talking about attending a church. I mean, it is a lot of work to deal with all the, I mean, not like anybody in the first service, but the second service people, man, whoa, crazy. I didn't pick the church. Jesus did. So I'm submitted to everything about his love for the church. I love the church. His devotion to the church, I'm devoted to the church. His sacrifice for the church, I will sacrifice for the church. I will write checks, I'll devote time, I'll give my life, my energy. I'm meeting with pastors, I'm talking with other leaders, I'm involved in other ministries, I'm meeting here, we're doing everything we can to grow, to build, to make disciples who make disciples. We don't want to attract crowds, that's not our objective. It's great if the crowds come, but I'm just telling you right now, our number one objective, our deepest conviction, the only thing that really matters is that we make disciples who understand they're called to make disciples. That doesn't happen by gathering alone. That happens in our community group setting. That, kind of, that happens in our personal life ministry. 
And, and here, this is really the purpose, Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. I just want you to know God really does want you to give, and God really does want you to tithe. This is not a law issue. It's not a legalistic issue. And I take exception with most teaching of our modern-day church about tithing, and I hate it that a lot of people use concepts and verses to manipulate people into giving money as if God's going to squash you if you don't. That's not the God we serve in the era we live that's not, you don't give God to manipulate him out of his blessing. You give because you know you're blessed, and from a position of being blessed, I give. How God responds to that is God. But I give because I'm blessed. And, and this is what it says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Offerings, sacrifices, tithes. I mean, people never gathered at the temple empty-handed. They didn't. I'm not trying to build my thing here. I want us to become who God's called us to be. That's why we're not passing the buckets anymore. Conclusion of this year, it's over. You're, you can invite friends and family. We'll not put offering buckets in their face because we don't want people who show up here to think, yeah, that's what you're about. I mean, this is risky business. This is not a good idea to make that change. I'm just telling you, from a financial standpoint, building our empire, that's not wisdom. But it's not about our empire, it's about the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit said to us, begin to provoke people to go deeper and understand what it is to be a mature disciple. That's why the giving stations are in the back. And when you're in worship, I invite you to give. Give online, however you're going to do that. Bring your tithe, bring your offering, make your building pledges, whatever God's stirring in your heart. Do it as an act of worship to the Lord your God. It's a part of worship. Learning about and participating in the generous nature of God is a very important part of our lives, our legacy, and our world. How many of you know you can't take it with you? How many of you know you can't take it with you? You can store it in a shed, but you can't take it with you. Here's the thing. You can take it with you. True riches are taken with you. Would you just engage with me for a moment? True, I'm not talking about worldly riches, because worldly riches don't amount to anything. I'm talking about true riches. You can take true riches with you. You can take someone with you. Because aren't people really more important? See, our society says we use things, or use people to get things, but the kingdom says we use things to get people. I don't know about you, but I'm leading my children, our spiritual sons and daughters, anybody I can, in a way that will empower them. Think about this. I'm empowering them to spend all eternity meeting and enjoying people that might not have made it to heaven had we not been willing to lovingly sacrifice, serve, and give. You can take true riches with you. Leonard Ravenhill said, five minutes inside eternity and you'll wish you'd, sac you'd, wish you'd sacrifice more, you'll wish you wept more. How I many know it's true? I'm not even finished with the quote and immediately we get it. You'll wish you'd uh, wept more, grieved more, loved more, prayed more, and given more. Here's the question. Whose life is better because of you? Whose faith is deeper because of you? Whose family understands the generous nature of God more clearly 
because of you. First Chronicles is all about legacy. And today, the revelation of Christ born in our hearts out of the book of First Chronicles is that we might understand the legacy of God through our surrendered, available, sacrificial lifestyle that we learn from watching him. Lord, we love you and thank you. You really did set the ultimate example of what we're talking about. You had everything, literally. You gave up everything, literally. To come and walk in an ocean of fallen humanity that would hate you, spit on you, rip out your beard, beat you lacerate your back to the place where the skin was hanging down to your legs crucify you, kill you wrap you up bury you in a tomb call you dead and out of all of that you're alive and today we still worship you today nations of the world drawn to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we might follow your example. I pray, Lord, you would stir each one of us not to just hear a message today and think, well, that's a nice message. I pray, Father, you'd stir our hearts to die on a cross ourselves, that we would bear the burden of our own cross and understand your example is not for us to appreciate. Your example is for us to follow, that the sacrifice of Christ should not be the only sacrifice that's about our lives, but the sacrifice of ourselves as we follow your example. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Just heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, God is convicting me about my lack of sacrifice, I want you to lift both your hands. Let's just surrender. God is convicting us about our lack of sacrifice. Father, you see hands across this place, and I thank you that you're stirring our hearts and you're taking us into a deeper understanding, a deeper revelation of who you've called us to be, that the kingdom of God might expand. Stir us, God. Help us to take steps to walk out the will, plan, and purpose in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And it's really hard to act like Jesus. Would you agree? And, and a lot of churches really work hard to get people to act like Jesus. We don't do that. <laughs> we don't want you to act at all. We want you to be honest about who you are. And what we need to learn to do is, if, what we need to understand is that the gospel is not, not about making bad people act good. It's about making dead people live. And so we just want to surrender ourselves and let Jesus live through us. And that's what we want to do right now. Maybe you're here and you haven't ever prayed to receive Christ. That's a pretty important part of his living through you, that you accept who he is and that you enter into his life. So let's pray that prayer, all of us together, and just all of us renew another level of sacrifice and commitment. Would you just join me? Let's just say this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, let's all really be bold about this. Every one of us say, Lord Jesus... You came, you lived, you died, but you're alive. You're the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the Messiah. You're the rescuer of all fallen humanity. You're my rescuer. You're my Savior. Be Lord of my life. Teach me your ways that I might be a part of a legacy beyond myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. We honor you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord.